0: everyone and welcome to episode 54 of Her Story. This is your host Cassidy Reed and today my guest is Dr. Amanda Beckany. Amanda is the instructor of trumpet at Kent State University, trumpet and brass chamber music teacher at the College of Worcester, member of the City Music Cleveland Chamber Orchestra, the Fireland Symphony, Diamond Brass, and the Olympic Brass Quintet. Amanda also serves on the board of the Rocky River Chamber Music Society. In this episode, Amanda and I discuss issues of equity, her life and career, the balance between performer and educator, and her experiences with both orchestral and chamber music. So I'm really excited for you to check out this episode. Please make sure to like it and share it with your friends. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please send your bio to musicherstorypod at gmail.com. We would love to have you on the show. And I will see you next Monday.
1: Right. hi, I am Amanda Beccony. I am a trumpet player. I'm a performer, musician, educator um, in Ohio. I teach at Kent State University and I also teach at the College of Worcester. And I play in City Music Chamber Orchestra here in Cleveland. And I'm also a member of the Fireland Symphony.
0: Woo, yay! <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. And when you reached out to me, I was like, Amanda is perfect for this. So I'm excited.
1: Oh, how sweet, how sweet. more a lot
0: your life, yeah. Let's start off just like from the very beginning. So what got you started in music?
1: Well, uh, music was always an important part of my family life growing up. My mom played piano. I have an aunt who is a pianist, organist, cellist, um, amateur. uh, And I have an uncle who plays the contrabass in a drum and bugle corps. And so he always talked very passionately about brass players. Uh, And so as a child, I was in the church choir. I sang at church, I played in the handbell choir. I took piano lessons from a very young age. And so I felt really uh, lucky to have had those opportunities as, an, as, a, as a young child. So music was always going on in our family and around our house. And then of course, fifth grade came and my older sister played the trumpet. So of course, naturally, I wanted to play the trumpet. Um, and so of course, then we got involved in all of the band activities at our school. And um, so yeah, that's how we got started at least initially.
0: So basically like the primary reason why you chose your instrument was just because your sister played?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it, it was one of those. Uh, I mean, maybe we had had a trumpet player play at church at some point, but it was, yeah, my sister played trumpet and I and she had fun in band. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll do this. Uh, and my band director, I remember he could tell, we, we came from a fairly small school district. And so we had the same band director from fifth grade to senior year of high school Mm -hmm. and so he knew my sister and she knew he knew that she was you know she had a good musical background and i remember when i went to test instruments out he kind of pegged me as a horn player because Mm -hmm. because i think i had a decent ear and um i was able to get an okay sound on it but no i wanted to play the trumpet i was determined to go (laughs) with the trumpet
0: (laughs) yeah I, i had kind of a similar experience not not quite um my first choice was trumpet as well and my band director had me try saxophone first, and because he needed more saxophones and he had plenty of trumpets, because you know every beginning band is too many trumpets. Exactly. And I was so terrible at the saxophone; <laughs> I could not get a sound out. And for all my band r- director friends out there, the saxophone is like the easiest instrument to get a beginning student to get a sound out on. It's not. And he was like, "Yeah, you're definitely a brass player." <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. So it's fine. I ended up with my first choice anyway, and I'm I'm glad I did because I could not see myself being a saxophonist. So I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, That's great story. We were talking about um, some of your experiences in school. So, you know, I, I often have this conversation a lot with a lot of uh, women in in brass music um, on my podcast, but we're your school ensembles, were you, you know, pretty heavily populated in your sections with people that identified the same way as you? Or did you kind of like feel a little like isolated, you know, being a woman in a brass section?
1: I love that question. So in high school, no, in high school, I had a lot of friends actually from my church as well that were females and in the band. And so we kind of all united and And we were friends with the guys as well. It wasn't just the girls versus the guys, but I definitely felt comfortable as a female in my high school band. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the time I got to college, so I went to undergrad at a small liberal arts school um, called the College of Worcester. And um, I honestly, when I went there, it was more because I was a piano player who happened to play the trumpet and... Everyone in my family was teachers or educators. And so it was like, well, Amanda's going to major in music education because she does music and everyone is a teacher in our family. Mm. So I went there as a music ed major. I didn't get a scholarship. Uh, I auditioned on trumpet and piano, but I didn't have formal trumpet lessons till like the end of my senior year of high school. It was kind of like an afterthought kind of thing. Mm. Um, So anyhow, so I get to college and there, at least when I entered, it was mostly guys, uh, although very talented musicians. Our teacher at Worcester was uh, Jack Gallagher, and he's now actually quite successful as a composer, um, but he was a phenomenal teacher, um, had a great foundation for all of his students. And so he had these these hotshot guys that were there. And that was not, I mean, he recruited his students because of how they played. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was one girl um, and she was like this little, she was even shorter than I am. And her name was Ann Gentry. She was this petite little girl and she was a knockout trumpet player. And so she was two years older than me. So we definitely kind of bonded a little bit. Um, And then I also remember my sophomore year at Worcester, Dr. Gallagher had me recruit um, another student who was a high school senior at the time. And she too was a knockout trumpet player. Her name was Jane Rackley. Um, She's now one of my very best friends and she lives in Pittsburgh actually. Um, Anyhow, um, so it was funny how when i showed up there was this one girl and it was a bunch of guys who you know i've always just gotten along with the guys you know i i mm-hmm. never kind of dis- distinguished the fact that i was a female or, and or and that they weren't um but i think once i was there and once he had dr gallagher had this Anne in the studio he kind of started to develop it as like okay we've got these really strong females let's kind of let's build on that and so it was kind of a a kind of a turning point in his studio wow that's
0: uh, awesome yeah yeah and so to have that representation piece is, is so important. And for me, I knew like growing up, my private teacher in high school always made sure that I was listening to professional like women in the field. Um, like if I were working on a certain solar or something like that, he would... And I don't he wouldn't outwardly tell me this, but he would find me recordings of <laughs> women in the field um performing oh. as, the solos as much as men were. and I, and he never outwardly said, "Oh, there's a reason behind that. But now that I think about it now, I kind of I, I appreciated that a lot because I was able to listen to a lot of women that were doing amazing things on trumpet. And so for you, did you have any, you know, growing up or in college or whatnot? did you have any uh, women trumpet players that you listened to? Uh, frequently? And who were they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting, though, because I would say I wouldn't call myself a late bloomer because I was always a musician. And like I said, I had played piano. Theory came very easy for me when I went to college. You know, I had this really great foundation. But as far as like trumpet playing and solo trumpet playing, it was not really until I was in college that I was like, aware of this whole world of amazing artists and performers and orchestral players and soloists. And um, so I, I guess it, it was kind of like I, I blossomed later, I would say. Yeah. Um, but of course, I, I, I knew who Barbara Butler was, Marie Speciale, Susan Slaughter. Um, and then later on, gosh, it might have been even in graduate school, where I was familiar with Judith Saxton, um, mostly with her teaching, but also I have a couple of albums that she had put together. Um, so certainly I looked to those women as an influence but I have to say um you know most of the recordings I listened to in college were you know the big Chicago Symphony Cleveland Orchestra which historically didn't have a lot of women in them yeah um so I it's kind of a bummer I'm like looking back I'm thinking Amanda why weren't you why weren't you seeking those other women out there but it was always like again I always thought of myself as I'm a trumpet player yeah I'm a girl but but I can do this too so I I didn't feel like a need to necessarily scope out those, those recordings. Um, but now looking back, it's amazing, um, that they can compete, that they were able to compete with all these other, all these other guys in the field.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think even in college, it wasn't something that I was consciously not, I, I was obviously aware of it, but it wasn't something that I like actively pursued recording wise as I got older in my undergrad I started to try to find more pieces by women composers because I felt there was this like huge gap especially when it comes to brass repertoire and like solo repertoire so I was looking at that and I was like hey wait a minute where are all the women at um yeah but yeah that wasn't something that I really like consciously um pursued for a while until I looked back at it and and I think a lot of that has to do with my music ed experience as well. And like teaching kids and trying to find things for them and then going like, Hey, wait a minute. I never had this either. Where? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for sure. But you had mentioned kind of your reasoning for pursuing your degree at Worcester. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what kind of influence you to pursue a master's degree in trumpet performance because you went on to the university of wisconsin so can you talk a little bit about like what decision making went on there because i know you talked about you know your family was like yep she's going to school for uh, for music but she's going for ed and so what kind of uh changed that trajectory for you
1: so again i'll um that was at Worcester, Jack Gallagher, who was my trumpet teacher um, mm-hmm. at some point, maybe it was like my sophomore year. And, and I, I did, by the way, still get the music ed degree. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that I did uh, because, you know, naturally um, if you're a performer, you, you're you gonna be teaching us whether it's, even if it's not in a public school setting, you're gonna be teaching. Um, so I was really glad to have that foundation. But at some point or other, he said, you know, Amanda, Um, I'm sure you're doing, you know, I'm sure you'll be a great teacher someday. I'm sure you'll, you could be a great band director, but have you thought about continuing, you know, you've got some talent, you've got some expertise. Um, have you thought about continuing? And, and at that point I was like, what are you kidding me? Like my mom said I should be a teacher and all this, blah, blah, blah. And so then I I started to explore, um, some other opportunities more in a performance space. And so I did go to Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp as a counselor uh gosh when i was a junior in college and i remember there um i was a counselor but i also i don't know if you've are you familiar it's kind of like interlocking but yeah. the, the yeah. counselors get to do you, uh, I actually got to teach in the, the Camp Bernstein, which was like the, the younger students. I got to teach their sectionals, and then I got to play in the faculty orchestra. I got to play in the staff band. I ended up playing, you know, There was, and then there was a staff brass quintet, and then there was this fanfare trumpet group, the Tower Trumpets that I was a part of. Actually, in, incidentally, I'm just thinking of this now as I'm talking to you, uh, the year I was there, it was the, the four best trumpet players were the, the Tower Trumpet Ensemble, and we would play these fanfares. Before the concerts every night, and that year it was all four, it was four females um, that <laughs> happened to happen to be in that position, which was really special. But anyhow, I so that summer I played a bunch of repertoire. I had a bunch of lessons with some of the teachers that came through, and I thought, wow, this is really fun. I could do this. I could I could make a living playing trumpet. And like, little did I know, like, <laughs> if you want to make a living, like, don't try to be a, <laughs> a musician. Um, I shouldn't say that, but. <laughs> But um, anyhow, it was then I was like, you know what? I do really want to do this. And so then I explored some options for graduate school. Um, Now, of course, you know, I was dating somebody at the time who's now my husband, is now the father of our three children. And so he was a year older than me and he was going to graduate school and he actually ended up at the University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So I will say that, I mean, I looked at other places, I auditioned elsewhere, but I was definitely gravitated toward that school because he was there. Um, but then, you know, I also went and I met John Ailey, who was just a tremendous player, tremendous teacher. In fact, his whole family, I got to know them quite well. I got to teach his daughter a trumpet. I was her first trumpet teacher um,
0: Aww, That's because,
1: and it was, it was kind of sweet because she was in like fifth or sixth grade at the time. And, and he's like, well, she's not going to listen to me, but she'll probably listen to you. And so that was kind of special. Um, anyhow. So, so yeah, I did explore other op- options, but it I turns out, I was thrilled to have gotten there. I got to play in the Wisconsin brass quintet for a year um, as part of my assistantship there. Um, got to experience some wonderful playing and some wonderful teaching with John. Um, And of course, meet a bunch of other fantastic students And there, too. uh, There were probably a lot of guys in the studio, but there were also a lot of really strong women that, you know, we kind of you just kind of band together um, and support each other. And um, and it was just neat because I do remember since I was a graduate student there, there were some younger undergrads who happened to be female. And I think they were, it was a positive thing to see me in that situation and in that um, position um, playing and, and teaching at the university. So that was very special.
0: That's awesome. And then you went on to pursue your DMA. At the mm-hmm. Ohio State University, I should the Ohio State. University. That's right, capital T A T. Yes, yeah, because it, it's funny because like Amanda and I know each other because I did my undergrad at Baldwin Wallace, but I'm not originally from Ohio. I'm originally from New York State, so I had to make sure that I said the the Ohio State. <laughs> so, can you talk a little bit about uh, what kind of motivated you to pursue a DMA? Because not everybody does that. Um, what kind of helped you make that decision?
1: Yeah, so. You know, it's one of those things, and I'll still tell you to this day, the thing I love about my career right now is that there's a little bit of everything, you know, I love performing, I love playing in brass quintets, I love doing orchestral stuff, I love doing solo things, and I really love teaching and I love seeing my students develop and I love seeing them succeed. Um so I think yeah I think when I was at Wisconsin of course the performance was my main focus but I also took a couple graduate level theory classes that were just fascinating to me and I thought you know what I want to teach too and and I and I and I don't mean to say that I realized maybe I wasn't going to win a big job in a big orchestra because that's that's not fair to say because then that that <laughs> makes me not be confident in myself but I do think I really discovered like wow if I was a college professor I could perform a lot. I could, I could do the faculty brass quintet thing. I could do some mm-hmm. solo recitals, but then I could also teach. And I just felt like that felt like a good um, set for me because I like the variety. You know, I, I love performing, but I don't know that I could maybe handle that, you know, 48-week season where like every single weekend you're, you're, you're on and you've got to perform. I mean, I love performing, but I, I kind of like the idea of having this um, kind of a, a wider array of things that I was working on. Um, So at that point, yeah, I I finished my master's. Um, There was a a TA position open at Ohio State with Tim Lazor. And so of course, you know, if you can go to grad school for free, like and get or actually get paid to go, I was like, well, this sounds like a great opportunity. Um, So that's what drew me there to Ohio State.
0: That's awesome. And so while you were there, I know every doctoral program is a little bit different. Some, some are a little more, even if it's a DMA, they're a little more research-based and then some of them are very performance-based. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like pursuing that doctorate at the Ohio State University? (laughs) You're so (laughs) awesome.
1: Uh, So yeah, I mean, it was definitely performance-based and Um, Mm research-based. There was you know, the requirements, we, I actually one of the most fascinating classes, have you at um, Eastman taken research methods and bibliography? Yep. Oh my gosh, I don't know why it was so fast. I, in fact, I almost for a while was like, I'm going to do library science. This is so mm. cool. <laughs> um, I, it was, you know, it's kind of a nerdy thing, but it was just, it was just a fascinating thing. And um, so that was kind of interesting to me. And then uh, I ended up, I stumbled upon some musicology classes with um, Margarita Mazzo, who is a Shostakovich and Stravinsky specialist. And so as a trumpet player, I mean, who doesn't love playing Shostakovich or Stravinsky, right? Yeah. So um, so I got kind of involved in her um, her classes. And so I did do a lot of like research-based stuff, um, but then I still had to do, I played in orchestra all the semesters. I played in the band a couple semesters. I had a brass quintet. I think I had to do four or five recitals. I can't remember how many recitals, at least four. Uh, So, I mean, there was still definitely plenty of playing. Um, And then, of course, just like the academic classes and academic work. So, um, yeah, lots and lots of stuff jumbled all together.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I I love how that was just such an eclectic experience for you you as a as a professional now you're a huge proponent of chamber music that's a lot of what you do um professionally in your career and and it's also you've had some chamber music experience um at san fran yes sorry um, so can you talk a little bit about what kind of drew you to to chamber music as an art form and why you have went on to pursue that professionally is like your your mantra there
1: you know so Well, as I said earlier, I love doing orchestral playing. I mean, that's super fun. Um, I love doing solo stuff. But I love working with other people, um, which if you're a musician, I guess you kind of have to love working with other people. Um, But I love, I guess I like the smaller group setting because then you can really you know then you can be your own it's not you know if you're in an orchestra you're kind of at the mercy of the conductor or the principal trumpet player you know you're not you don't get to make some of those like artistic decisions and so i really like chamber music just because of this idea that we can work very very closely with uh people that are close friends and make decisions musically decide on repertoire put to put programs together that that we want to do not that somebody's telling us that we're going to do
0: Um, So I just like
1: that kind of more getting down to the more um, closer relationship with people when I'm performing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm always I I really loved playing any chance I could get in chamber music ensembles because, again, like you were saying, I I feel like there's there's more of a a personal connection I feel like amongst people in the ensemble than you might get in like a large ensemble um there's a lot more communication that happens there and I really love that that piece that interaction that you get when you do play in a chamber ensemble so I do agree with you there and um so you do a lot of things as a professional like you're playing with chamber orchestras symphony orchestras brass quintets Akron Symphony, um, you are teaching actively at the collegiate level and, and that sort of thing. So can you talk to us a little bit about kind of your journey getting each of these positions, um, maybe about some of the auditions you've had to take or the interview process um, to be at the college level teaching?
1: So, okay, so I will say um, I've been very fortunate along the way. I mean, all ever since I got my doctorate at Ohio State, I've been busy and I've been busy. Sometimes I've been busier than other times. Um, I started off after I got my doctorate. Well, that's when I went to San Francisco and that was kind of a, um, that was a unique situation. My husband uh, had to go there for work for a chunk of time, like six months, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had just finished my doctorate. I graduated in December. And so I was planning to either apply for jobs or you know like continue with my career, but it was like, well, My husband's in in, uh, san francisco why don't i see what's going on at the conservatory so i met up with dave burkhart and turned out um he had a smaller studio at the time and i got to join him for the semester super cool super um we got to play fun repertoire uh, some cool conductors and everything and work with the symphony brass players so anyhow that was kind of like a little like sidestep for a short time (laughs) so then we came back so 2006 so i got a job teaching at ashland university which is here in Ohio. And that was, you know, that was adjunct. Um, a lot of the jobs I've done have been part-time, which, mm-hmm. you know, some people might say, oh, it's only part-time. But I guess I feel like having, I've been able to piece together lots of part-time work so that I can do all the things that I love. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, you're not like, if you've got five concerts one week, it's like, well, I just have to teach like two of these days. I don't have to, you know, teach five straight days and then go play five concerts every single night. Because um, mm-hmm. that can get kind of intense. Um all I would say is, well, auditions are hard. Let me tell you that. I, you've taken auditions, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Auditions, auditions are nerve-wracking. And frankly, I don't know that I've ever, like, I mean, I've won auditions before, but I haven't won, like, a major audition. I've won, you know, regional orchestra here, um, chamber orchestra there. Like, actually, my most, I, one of the things, I, I guess I'm not really good at auditioning. Um, I What I do better at is, like, the real-life experience where it's, like, So when I auditioned at Ashland to teach there, I think I had to teach like two mock lessons and then I played a little bit like it was a, but it was in the summer. So it was a, it wasn't like an official recital. It was unaccompanied. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did well because there was that teaching part of it. And then I played well because it was like not a full recital that I had to throw together and um, spend an entire day like rehearsing with the accompanist and then playing the recital. Yeah. You know, audition, like real auditions, man, they stress me out so much (laughs) because, because, you know, like I focus so much on the practicing and like knowing the music and knowing the excerpts and knowing the scores to these pieces. But then you get in there and you get like four minutes to show off. Mm -hmm. And like if you're if you're too nervous, like four minutes isn't enough time to show off. So I feel like I've been able to be successful in these more the college positions because it's like the whole package. It's the teaching, it's the playing, it's the talking about your experiences kind of thing. Um, Interesting, so I started teaching at Kent State at the beginning of the school year, so during the pandemic. And it was very interesting. My first day on the job um, was my first official day on campus. So I, I had like three interviews leading up to getting the position, but they were all over Zoom. And that was weird, you know, like yeah. I had to teach the lessons over Zoom. I had to meet with the, the interview people over the over Zoom. Um, so that was kind of a weird thing, like to show up to teach. And it was like, OK, it's day one. And actually, we had our lessons outside most of the first semester. Um, you know, that was it was kind of weird, like that. Here we are, like I get this job, but I hadn't actually met people in person until mm-hmm. that very first day. So that yeah. was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, no, and I I can agree with you on the the audition versus the sort of interview process, because I'm the same way, Um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm in music education, because when you go for a teaching job, if the school is reputable and cares about their music program they're going to have you play they're going to have you teach they're going to have you do all these things for them before they decide to hire you and you know obviously answer questions and all those things and so like I find that that matches my skill set a lot more than like you said having to slam all this stuff together and prepare something and show who you are just with the trumpet in like you know a span of only a few minutes Um, absolutely yeah yeah I completely agree with you there.
1: You're exactly right. Because so much of like when I've interviewed in person for things, so much of it is, I mean, obviously you want to play well, but and and teach well, but so much of it is just that interaction. Like Mm -hmm. if you're a total like dud, they can tell in your, just how you like greet them at the door and stuff like that. But this is like, Zoom is just a totally different beast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Um. for sure. And so. You, um, you're, you're teaching college and you're playing in all these different groups and things, but you're also a mom too, to uh, multiple yeah. children. So, and I, I usually ask this to people that I know are parents, um, and are doing all these crazy things at the same time. So do you have any advice for people as like how they balance like <laughs> this career, especially since you do so many things professionally and being a mom at the same time, like super. All right.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's super fun. You know what it is though? It's like I feel like as musicians we're used to being busy all the time um in one of your recent episodes i was listening to you were talking about how when you were in school like you were from 8 a.m to like 11 o'clock at night you're either practicing um, studying mm-hmm. in class or te- like you're doing something that's music related. And so your social life was like, hey, I'm practicing Charlie A2. How's that going over? You know, like you kind of, like, that's like, that's how your social time is. And so what I would say is being a parent, you have to multitask all the time. And you like, we thrive on being busy. So I don't want to say it's easy because it's not. Um, but I think I'm okay with it because I'm used to having a lot on my plate and I'm used to kind of just tackling things as they come and just trying to balance it out. Um, But I will say, because it is hard. (laughs) I'll probably say that several times. It's not easy, but the thing that I try to do is when I'm working, so if I'm, whether it's I'm teaching or I'm practicing or I'm playing a concert or I'm, you know, interacting with people that's music based i focus on what it is that we're focused on so you know if it's practicing for an audition or if it's getting ready for a concert i'm focused on that but then when i'm with my kids i try to focus on my kids you know what i mean like i try to give them the time and the attention that they deserve and i really do it's funny because i've kind of i've been a mom actually my son my oldest is turning 9 tomorrow so i've been a mom so almost 9 years old for almost 9 years and um you know, and so like through that time, like there was when I when he was first born, I worked actually I taught at Ashland, and I taught at the College of Worcester at that time, and I still played in the Ashland Symphony. Then, you know, I still had stuff on my plate, but there was definitely like days that I could really focus on doing the mom thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had kind of various levels of how busy I was, but I would say I think I'm the best mom when I'm really busy because then I appreciate the time that I do get with my kids, and I'm not like oh shoot like. We got to figure out what we're going to do today. You know, it's like this so goes kind of 50th time today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like, OK, we've, we've kind of like finally struck this great balance. And my kids are great. Um, they're fun, um, actually. And they're getting older, too. So it's really cool to see them get become. I don't want to say successful, but like get better at things like my boys take guitar and Aww. they actually it actually sounds like a real instrument. Like it's <laughs> it's kind of fun. <laughs> um, so I will say, like, I think. Number one, musicians are naturally busy. So just being able to handle the craziness is one way. Um, and then just kind of giving your attention where it's needed. So if it's if it's focusing on work, you focus on work. And then when it's time to focus on kids, you focus on kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And actually, my friend Madeline and I, she teaches a middle school band in my school district. And we were actually talking about this um, on a recent episode with her of how her and I are like we don't have we're not married yet we don't have kids yet we don't have a house yet we were talking about how <laughs> we're actually kind of jealous of people who have kids but <laughs> you can kind of like you are almost forced to like turn off the brain that's thinking about work because like you're trying to like take your kid to soccer practice or feed them or like whatever and you're like distracted from that Where so I- true Her and I, like, we, like, are constantly thinking about work. And so we have no, like, downtime. We have nothing. We're both workaholics. We have nothing, like, forcing us to, like, shut that part of our brain off.
1: (laughs) No, oh, I totally get it. And you're exactly right. And it's funny because I kind of have to like, so I go from teaching college students who are, you know, they're smart, they're, they're working towards like these really great goals. And then I'm like negotiating with my three-year-old on whether she can eat a piece of chocolate. You know, she's such a, she's such a pistol that like, she wants to figure out how she can get her candy. And I'm like, <laughs> like, sometimes I'd rather be dealing with my college students because <laughs> at least they're reasonable. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And you had mentioned that you started teaching recently at Kent State this year during the middle of a pandemic, Mm -hmm. um, which had to have been a super interesting experience. So what have you been doing during this time, you know, either with teaching or or trumpet playing?
1: Well, so um, teaching has gone pretty well. So we've so first semester I taught mostly outside whenever the weather allowed for it. And, you know, we have, of course, we're following all the, the, the precautions. So everybody has a mask that they can wear with, you know, that you can fit your mouthpiece into and play. Everybody has bell covers. Um, so we tried like trumpet studio, I think, because there's 14 students in my trumpet studio. So when we would meet as a studio, we met outside and that worked well. Um, and then when the weather was not good. We would have lessons inside, but I would do like a half an hour in the trumpet studio. And then I would find a classroom and we'd go to the half an hour so that you could you know air out the rooms and all that. Um, as far as bands go, we've been doing, I was coaching a small chamber ensemble for each of our bands. So rather than having full band and having you know 60 people in a room at the same time, we just divided up into groups of eight to 10 students. So they've still had that performance experience. It's just been on a smaller scale. And honestly, I think it's been a really great benefit for them because you know when you go to high school you're used to playing in a big band and um or a large band and this has enabled them a chance to still perform but there's a little bit more pressure for them to play well because they can be heard um and they're having to listen more to their colleagues and their peers and um, so it's been great i mean it's it's not a perfect situation i think everybody still wants to get back to our quote-unquote normal but we've we've managed to do okay with that. Um, and we've done, so I can't state we were in person almost the entire first semester. There was one week where several students were potentially exposed to like, somebody in the band or somebody something had been exposed to COVID. So like there was one week we were virtual and then we were virtual from Thanksgiving till Christmas. And then we started this semester, two weeks of virtual. And then we've been in person since, um, like February 1st, I think. So, and then we'll now we're on spring break this week, and then we'll have two more weeks of school that are virtual just to keep everybody safe. So, we've managed. Um, it certainly hasn't been easy. And, like, even having the students rehearse with their accompanists for their juries or for their recitals, we have these audio paired rooms. So, we have the accompanist is in one room and they are electronically um connected to another room so the student is in the practice room and the accompanist is in a different room and then they both wear headphones and that's how they rehearse so it's certainly not ideal but we've managed
0: yeah and a lot of this time has had me thinking about like if we had to deal with this like <laughs> 50 60 years ago
1: oh yeah yeah there was no there was no internet <laughs>
0: Yeah, like even just, um, just talking with uh, Jack Suddy about some of his experiences sending graduate tapes and like things when he was in school and the old technology. He always complains to me that he's had to use. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) thinking about how in the heck we would have like taught kids.
1: Cassidy, you realize like when I was in school, I actually had to own a metronome. I couldn't get tonal energy. I had to own a music dictionary to look up, you know, there was no Google. Um, And then I even had to go to the music library to listen to music.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. He talks about that all the time. He's like, yeah, I spent hours in the library. And he's like, now you guys can like go on YouTube or like Spotify and just...
1: Okay. So true, you, and you can make a playlist, and it's all right there at your fingertips. Yeah, yep.
0: and so yeah, this time just has me thinking about like if I were a teacher fifty years ago when this happened, we'd all just be screwed. Right, right. Anything, yeah. Um, especially with the the adjacent rooms and like the feed going through and headphones, like that's so cool that you have that. I didn't even think that that was a thing.
1: No, it's it's super cool. I mean, but again, like we're cha- we're limited with. Um, like the time like because there's only we have I think we have two or three rooms that are paired so but if there's six people that are giving a recital next weekend you know you got to fight over the time um, in those rooms and and just really space. I'm sure you've seen this with your students space is the problem because you have to be in a bigger space and some rooms can only accommodate a few people so like trumpet studio we there's 14 of my students so we have to be in the huge recital hall if we're going to accommodate all those people. And of course, the recital hall is the busiest room in the school. So um, you just have to be flexible. And, you know, I think we've we've gotten by, but it's certainly not sustainable. We'll have to get back to normal sometime.
0: Yeah. At the beginning of the school year at my school, we started we had to sit the kids 12 feet apart. And that was pretty awful. (laughs) We just got approval to go down to six feet. And I'm like, thank God, because 12 feet is crazy. And they're trying to bring a bunch of the kids back in the building in person four days a week. And I was like, okay. that can't happen at twelve feet apart.
1: <laughs> so you're still like mostly virtual.
0: Uh, we're do we're at a hybrid model. So the kids are divided into different groups, and each group um Pretty much comes into school two days a week in person, and then is virtual two days a week, and then we have like a teacher day on Wednesdays. Okay. Um. Yeah. And so spacing is like a major issue at my school, so that's something that we've had to figure out. And thank God we went down to six feet because there was no way I was going to fit all those. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. You know, and I mean, I'm sure you've noticed know, it's really hard to hear. You know, there's. Yep. <laughs> it's like I even I did a quintet concert like a live stream. Back in October, and we spaced ourselves out, and it was like, wow, I'm not used to <laughs> I'm not used to sitting wow. this far away from you. Um, and even just like so hearing each other, but then even acoustically, how it goes out into the hall, it's mm-hmm. totally different.
0: Yeah, and I, I noticed like my kids were not playing very confidently at the beginning of the year because they were 12 feet apart and they just could not hear what's going on. And we get so used to, especially K-12 kids, you know, like sure. they've been playing in a section and in a large band all the time that's their music experience these kids are not really you know like us going through music school and stuff we had to play by ourselves all the time but like these kids don't do it that often you know they're just there for band and they're there to have fun and learn music and so all of a sudden they're sitting 12 feet away from everybody else and they're like oh no
1: (laughs) but you know what so but maybe that's a positive because it's kind of making them be a little bit more comfortable Mm -hmm. you know we have to if we want to get better at anything you have to put yourself out of your comfort zone so why not just <laughs> make them far apart so they have to trust themselves more?
0: Yeah, yeah. And at first, yeah, it, it they did play very timid, they weren't very independent, but now I'm like really starting to see the results of that independence work because they are actually like holding themselves now more accountable to know their part and everything. Um, because they are, they were isolated for that, that long that, you know, if they were playing, like you could hear them. It's not just a section anymore. It's Amanda. That's crazy. (laughs) 12 feet later, Cassidy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting for sure. But, you know, we were talking about like all your teaching and everything. Um, You're also on the board of the Rocky River Chamber Music Society, which is bringing uh, chamber music to audiences in Northeast Ohio. So can you talk a little bit about being on that board and kind of what you do as part of that organization?
1: Awesome. It's something I'm really um, excited about and passionate about. Um, So we are a nonprofit and we put on concerts that are no charge or they're free um similar to actually city music, which is the chamber orchestra that I'm a part of. But so at the Rocky River Chamber Music Society, um, we started sixty years ago, or is it sixty five? I can't remember um i wasn't there i wasn't alive yet but um so we get really really awesome chamber music artists from all over the world Um, we do five concerts a year and we host them at a really nice hall in rocky river um so some of our board actually dan McElway, who you might know from um bw he's he's the music director of our board so i work kind of closely with him um so i actually my job is i'm on the music committee and we Uh, bring all the groups in. So we find the artists from all over the world. We bring them in. Some of them, we always do like one concert a year of more local artists, but otherwise people are from around the country. And then usually we try to get a European group every year, although not during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my, I actually write the program notes for the, for the, um, for the society. And, um, and so, yeah, we tap, we, you know, we're working on building our audiences and just getting this this amazing music out at no cost for our audiences. Um so that's something it's really it's a really fun thing to be involved in. It's nice to be with again I love my children. I love going to baseball games. I love, you know, being with my kids, but I also like doing something that's that's making a difference that's not um and it's not my work. You know, I'm not paid to be on the board. Um it's yeah. just something that I'm pretty passionate about.
0: Yeah, and that's wonderful. And we we always talk about, you know, on this podcast and and classical music in general how we can make things more equitable for people for audiences how we can educate others that may not have been able to had the lives that we have had where we had classical music growing up and that education and be able to reach out to those people um, and provide them with kind of a little peek into what we do and I think that's amazing that you are providing this to others and it's free or or close to being free and they're able right. to participate in that that's awesome. Yeah, no it is.
1: And actually I forget, I forget if we say it's free or if it's no Yeah, it's free. I mean, we obviously take donations and we and we work on getting funding and everything because you know, we got to pay for it somehow. Yeah. But the whole idea is that t- you don't have to pay for a ticket and it's really neat to see some of the people that come to the concerts because I mean, we've had actually there's a particular family that I remember that comes to a lot of the concerts when we're in person. And um, they've got like five kids and mm. they've told us, you know, we can't afford the Cleveland Orchestra, but but we can come to this. And and they just love it. And that makes me so happy that um, that we can be exposing anybody. You know, you don't have to pay the the huge ticket prices. I mean, in the Cleveland Orchestra is amazing. and. Um, I love to go listen to them, but it you know it comes with a cost, and does, so this yeah. is a nice way to to get people to hear music, really great music um, at a cost um, effective way.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean i I came from a family that didn't have a whole lot of money growing up, and so my mom was always taking us to concerts and performances and those things that that were like you know, the the Rocky River Chamber Music Society, they were free or they were very low cost um, for our family. And so I do appreciate that you're doing that because, you know, there are p- kids out there that, you know, may end up going to school for music or becoming a music professional who, you know, maybe they've never been to a major symphony orchestra concert before because their family couldn't afford it, frankly, like that was me growing up. Um, so I, I, I do think that that's really awesome that you're doing that um, for people. It's really cool. For sure. Yeah. And so actually, fun fact about Amanda and I. Did you know, Amanda, that you were the first female trumpet player that I ever took a lesson from? Oh, how funny. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. Um, I hope that it was worthwhile for you. Oh, yeah, of course. Most people that listen um, know that I went to my undergrad at Baldwin Wallace um, Conservatory of Music, and so I study with Jack Studi, who's was second is the second trumpet of the Cleveland Orchestra. I Almost said was. No, he's still there. He's <laughs> um, still around. He's still ticking. So yeah, like you know, they would go on tour to Europe or China or whatever the heck they were doing because they're like crazy busy all the time. And or Miami, they residency there, and. Um, he would always have people come in and like take and have us take lessons from them while he was away. And so Amanda was one of those people for me. And you were the first woman trumpet player that I ever took a lesson from. And I think it's a little, little sad that it took until college <laughs> for me to have that. But I, I do want you to know that I I so appreciated my time with you as well because um I, I took a few lessons with you, I believe, um in yes. my time there, because I was there for four years. But uh, one lesson in particular just really helped me a lot because one issue that I feel like a lot of women have in brass music and in trumpet playing, especially if they're smaller bodied women (laughs) like myself, is just even just simple things like figuring out where to breathe when you're working on a piece of music that like my, you know, big six foot four trumpet teacher could not (laughs) ever me. And so like, I so appreciated it. Like, I think the first lesson I had with you we were working on whatever solo I was working on and you were so helpful with just helping me figure out physically <laughs> what I can handle in my breath. And it was just a, a really great experience for me because it was someone who was a similar body type to me, a similar size to me um, oh, that was able crazy. to help me through that. And I really did appreciate that. And it's it's those things that you kind of reflect upon as you get older, where you're like, that's why representation is so important. That is, oh yeah, that is super special. And
1: actually you probably also, so maybe the second female that you took a lesson from was Nina Bell. Do you remember Mm -hmm. her? So she's one of my very, very dear friends. And um, actually we, before the pandemic, we played together in city music and then we also played together in Firelands. And um, speaking of being a mother, um, she also had a baby about, I guess her son's gonna be two in June. And so, um when we talk about being a female trumpet player and I you know I've I've mentioned how you know it's really I've never kind of differentiated myself I mean I guess I have I'm a female trumpet player but you know I I always hang out with the guys too Mm -hmm. Um, but it's always been nice to have someone like her who is just a very dear friend on a personal level not just on a musical level Mm um she um so she's been a dear friend of mine she actually her husband just won a job um, with the air force band. So they moved to Virginia like weeks, a few weeks ago, but she and I still talk, she'll always, she'll text me. She'll be like, okay, my son's doing this. What should I do? Or, or I remember when her son (laughs) was born and, um, I mean, probably too much information, but, um, as a mother who's nursing their baby, we have to pump, like when you're not away, when you're not with your child. And let me tell you, like not every orchestra that I've played with has had like the adequate space to give me Mm. a room to, um, to pump like because you got to like get this milk for your baby and you also have to make yourself comfortable because it's uncomfortable if you don't extract the milk (laughs) yeah yeah Nina and I would always like share like I would tell her like oh okay we're at this church for this concert there's a room if you go to the second floor there's a Sunday school room and you can close the windows and you can pump there I mean I mean I know that sounds really silly but um it's something that we've had to deal with (laughs) because you know I mean being a being a woman and in an orchestra, you've got to be able to take care of those things when you have babies.
0: Yeah, no, totally true, and it's so important that we have those relationships with other women in brass that we feel comfortable enough to like have those conversations because those are real yeah. life issues, and because our world is very male centric, right? Yeah, it's something that nobody ever thinks about.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, and and the thing is, is you know, it's funny though because I I also think of it like. There's plenty of women in the workforce who have the same issue. Right. I mean, there's plenty of instances, you know, women in executive positions where it's like they have to find a room where they can go. I mean, it's the same thing. So I I try to not make a big deal about it because you're exactly right. It can happen anywhere. Um, But it's something that we've had to deal with. And it's I mean, really, just as a working mother, you have to deal with that.
0: Yeah, and it's it's things that we have to deal with that our male counterparts don't necessarily have to deal with either. For
1: sure. And that is, like, that's exactly it. Or the other thing is, like, when my kids were babies and they, like, didn't sleep very well or I didn't sleep very well, like, you still got to show up and do a good job, you know. Yeah. And meanwhile, like, the guys are, like – yeah, you know, I slept till nine this morning and <laughs> got a good yeah. night's sleep and here I am. And I'm like, my baby woke me up at five in the morning. And, and then I'm at rehearsal till 10 o'clock at night. And then I drive home, you know, it's, yeah. it, it is what it is, but um, that's just being a woman is hard.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I don't have kids yet, but maybe, maybe someday I'll be calling you and be- <laughs> <laughs> you
1: certainly can. You certainly can. I mean, at the, it's I really fun. fun. I don't, I don't mean to make it sound like it's hard, but that was definitely a challenge that, That came through, and it's, and you just have to have other women who are supportive of you or who you can bounce ideas off of um, to feel more comfortable in that situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. And um, I guess my final question for you is kind of about this piece of representation. So, and you could take a second to think about this if you need to, but do you have any advice for young women who want to pursue? music professionally or trumpet performance professionally specifically that you could think of any advice for young women? So,
1: you know, the advice, Cassidy, that I always give my students is if this is something you want to do, the only way you're going to know whether you can do it is if you try. So, you know, like just put yourself out there. Um, Of course, you want to network. Um, I always say, you know, be kind to everybody because you never know who's going to come back and like be on the audition committee or, you He's know, come
0: back to haunt you.
1: <laughs> seriously, seriously. Yeah, you know, so, uh, you know, establishing good relationships from early on, like, obviously, you have done that, um, you know, from undergrad, and even before undergrad, go, you know, go up. And when you go to a concert, go talk to the trumpet players, go talk to the, you know, whoever's in the brass section, um, establish relationships, establish connections, because you never know when they're going to help you. Um, and then or if you if you, unfortunately make a, a bad connection. You never know when it could actually hurt you. Um, so definitely just being connected, um, being yourself. Um, and like like I, the one other thing I tell my students is put yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone and you'll start, you know, you start to get a little bit better at things. And that's how you start to achieve greatness.
0: Yeah, I love that. Amanda, I want to thank you so much for um, giving us your time and for talking about some of your experiences. I really appreciated talking to you. Thank you,
1: Cassidy. It's been great to be on this show. And I think what you're doing is just fantastic. Oh, um, thanks go- so much. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you.